faith. Uh, Despite what history might be changing to, the facts still hold. The tenets of our Constitution are based on the morality of the Bible. In fact, the Constitutional Convention broke several times when they had an impasse. And where did they go? To a nearby church where they would pray for God to intercede and show them the way. And he did. On September 17, 1787, when the Constitutional Convention ended, a woman asked Benjamin Franklin, Sir, what type of government do you give us? And his answer was, a republic, if you can keep it. See, it's up to us. All the tools are there, but it's up to us. Benjamin Franklin also said that God governs in the affairs of men, meaning he moves the governments to and fro. We are not politically divided from our faith. Everything, our faith, should be part of everything we do. Every 4th of July, the U.S. sets a new record, and that is a world record for the longest surviving written charter of government. The Constitution, as written, still applies and still is the best form of government the world has ever seen. However, in the 1950s, Nikita Khrushchev was quoted as saying, We will take America without firing a shot. We do not have to invade the U.S. We will destroy you from within. That methodology is alive and well today. We see division in our nation. We see division even in the church. And this can only be sown by the enemy. But what is true freedom? See, the freedom we have at times can be taken. If you do something wrong, your freedom can be taken. If our government fails, our freedom will be lost. But true freedom is something that you cannot lose, cannot give up, cannot give away. True freedom is much like when we're asked by people, who are you? We tend to identify ourselves by what we do. We tell people, well, I'm a this, I'm a that. But if you can retire, be fired, or give up that title, that's not who you are, but what you are at the time. If it's truly who you are, you can't change that. So, true freedom can't be taken. And true freedom is only found in salvation through Jesus Christ. Once you have it, it cannot be taken. You cannot reject it. You cannot lose it. Jesus has you, and you are His forevermore. But freedom is a misnomer. The word free is in it. In no way is freedom free. We see that in Arlington National Cemetery, and we see that at the cross. It cost God His Son. And that gift that we have to accept was not free, and it was not cheap. It was purchased with the blood of Christ. In order to accept it, there is a condition. You must accept that Jesus was God's Son, 100% man, 100% God. Born, lived a sinless life, died for your sins, a brutal death, rose again, and now sits at the right hand of God to cleanse you and make intercession for your sins. That has to be a fact that guides your life, a belief that is not doubted. Accepting Jesus does cost us something also, though. costs us our pride and our freedom. Our freedom to do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want, and not feel guilt. The guilt is not that we have somehow done something wrong. That's been paid at the cross. Again, there's nothing you can do to lose it but what it cost him to pay for it. The true measure of being saved is when we do do something wrong 
And we are upset not that it, we would have been found out, even if we never, no one ever finds out. It is that we did it and that God had to pay for it. That's the true measure. We'll never again be able to enjoy the things we maybe enjoyed before, those things that stood against our faith. Choosing Jesus is seeing a line in the sand and stepping over it. It's accepting sides and choosing them for eternity. It's enrolling and signing up for God's army in a spiritual way. In Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, we see armor that's issued when we sign up for God's army. But before we look at that armor, we need to figure out who the enemy is. You see, some people would say, our enemies are this, or our enemies are that. But Ephesians 6 tells us exactly who our enemies are. But first I want to list some people that our enemy is not. Atheists. Although they may call us their enemy, we are not theirs. Those who worship Satan, they are not our enemies. Those who do evil things and you read about in the paper or you never hear. Things that you don't want to know. Those people are not our enemies. In fact, there is no person alive that is our enemy. They are the hostage that we need to rescue. The only enemy is Satan and his demons. Now they may act behind the actions of people, but the people themselves are not our enemy. It's only when we see that we are the same as them. We are no better than them. They know worse than us. That we truly see the love of Christ come to life in our lives. And we can be as loving as Christ towards people who do things that we do not necessarily agree in. Now back to Ephesians 6, 10 through 14. I'm going to read those verses right now. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in that evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having gird your waist with truth. The first piece of armor we're issued is the belt of truth. If your armor is not based on truth, if that is not the first piece you put on, all the rest of your armor will fail. It must be true. Don't take my word for anything I'm saying. Don't take Joel's word. Don't take anybody's word. Look it up. In fact, the church was glorified by Christ for looking to and fro in the Bible, not believing what people said, but finding out whether or not what they're saying is true. Our next piece of armor, also in verse 14, is having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, a breastplate covers mainly your torso, but there's two main parts that's there to protect, and that's your heart. We see Jeremiah 7, 17, 9 says that the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Just because we're saved doesn't mean our heart is sinless. We don't lose our sin nature until either we die or are raptured. In that, we need to protect our heart from its desires of this world. And lungs. Lungs give us our breath feeding the blood that's pumped through the heart. I think we talked before about the root word of Spirit and breath, which is Ruach. This is the same life that was breathed into Adam and Eve, is the same breath that God gives us each day, several hundred times a day, and even right now, 
that you're not even thinking about until I bring it to your mind, each breath is actually put there by God. In 6.15, we see, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This is shoes. And the shoes are the gospel of peace because the gospel is what we stand upon. It is our sure footing. It is Christ. He is that, not the shifting sand, but the solid boulder that will not be moved. The shoes that Paul is talking about are actually more like cleats, but they're not like the cleats that you see in baseball or football. These were your Air Moseses with bent metal pieces that would dig into the ground, made for one thing, and that is holding your position or moving forward. In no way were they ever meant to be moved back, nor are we. The first one I'm going to actually focus on for some time here is the shield of faith found in Ephesians 6.16. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Our faith can take anything that is thrown at it. But what's missing in that is a condition. And that is, the shield is our main defense. But something Paul said that they would have heard that we don't is that the root word of shield, the only place it's used in the Bible is right here. And that root word is thyra. Now the word he uses is thyreos, which does mean shield. But thyra, where it comes from, it means door which means when we put down our faith, or we let it down, we open the door to attack. When we pick up our shield of faith, we close the door to attack. And if we hold our faith solid, nothing can get to us. Now looking at their shield, the Roman shield which he was referring to is about four foot by two and a half foot, made by layered bonded wood strips, sometimes curved and overlaid with leather. Each Roman soldier would be issued their shield. They were in charge of care and maintenance. The way they cared for it was daily they had to anoint it with oil or the leather would become brittle and fail in battle. We also must anoint our faith daily with the word of God. Now, a special thing they would do is if they were going to battle with fiery darts where they thought arrows on fire would be shot at them, they would also anoint it with water that would quench the fiery darts. We also need to anoint our, war, our uh, shield of faith for the battles we are facing. Something interesting is they had a technique known as shields and support. It was also called the turtle. And that's where maybe if you've seen the 300 or other Roman movies, they would come together, interlock their shields standing close, layer them above, creating almost like a dome with their shields. It was impervious to arrows, spears, rocks, or anything else thrown at them. So too, when we stand together as the body of Christ, we are impervious to attack. For the strength of the left and the strength of the right, that boldens the center and holds us against that push. We are one body and we are not in this alone. Continuing, Ephesians 6.17, and take the helmet of salvation. See, the helmet of salvation tells us that once we are saved... We are always saved. Even when we do something wrong and those doubts come in where Satan is trying to say, oh, Christians wouldn't do that. You can't truly be saved. The helmet of salvation does not allow those thoughts to come in. It says that I have the promise of Christ. 1 John 1, 9. If I am faithful and just, if I I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Therefore, nothing can stand against me. 
In Ephesians 6.17, we see the sword of the Spirit. He says, And with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We're not just to pray for ourselves or those we know, but those persecuted. Those in Nigeria, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, North Korea, all around the world. The sword of the Spirit is the only offensive weapon listed by Paul. And it's not the six-foot William Wallace broadsword from Braveheart that everybody sort of pictures. In fact, the word is makaira, means large sword or dagger, and it's about 12 inches long. If you take a sword, you can cut people in half, but that's not what he wants. With a makaira, if you take a 12-inch dagger and you dig it in anywhere, it's going to hit something rather important. And that's what we are trying to do when we are attacked. But the Makaira also signals that this is close battle. This isn't something that we are going to fight far. He's telling us that the enemy is going to bring the fight to our doorstep. That we must be ready. And if our only offensive weapon is the Word of God, then we should sharpen it as often as possible. Now when we get into the Word, <coughs> when we get into the word there are three words that speak about the Word of God. Graphe, that just means book. That's where we get the word quill or graphite. Then we move on to logos. If a graphe is any book, logos is the word of God. But what we aspire for is what's called rhema, and that is known when you're reading your Bible, when God speaks directly to you. It could be two different messages for the same verse at different times in your life. But that is why it is living and breathing, and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between spirit and soul. That is what we're looking for. And what Paul is telling us in that is that you can't just take a book, you can't just take the Bible, you can't just pick a random verse when you are under attack. You have to pick specific verses related to your situation in order to defend yourself. That was shown to us by Jesus when he was 40 days in the desert, And he fought off the temptations of the devil. He only used one book of the Bible, and that's Deuteronomy. When he was tempted with hunger, Deuteronomy 8.3. When he was tempted at the pinnacle of the temple, Deuteronomy 6.16. When he was tempted on the mountain, Deuteronomy 6.13. If it took Jesus three stabs to get Satan to run, why do we think it would only take us one? When we are in the trials, we are to stand. There is a weapon that Paul doesn't list, but many have given a name to. When he says to pray, pray for all the saints in all the world, that's been given the word, the spear, because we can cast it far away in support of our brothers and sisters in Christ. But we are not just soldiers. We are called to be ambassadors. We are not just here to fight for ourselves and our brothers and sisters, but to be ambassadors for Christ to those who don't believe. Much as ambassadors are sent and occupy a land to do the will of their government, we are here. All of us sitting here are stationed in the United States. Wherever we go, we are ambassadors sent forth by our Heavenly Father. Anybody watching anywhere else? That is where you are called. We represent God. And our true citizenship is not in the country we are born, but in heaven once we accept Christ. We are serving on foreign ground, 
This is not our home. So when things don't seem right, that's why. This is not our home. We will go home soon enough. And just as before most wars, nations try to solve things through diplomatic negotiations, through their ambassadors, so we are negotiating, attempting to show the world a better way. But when negotiations break down, war comes. And the first things nations do before they bring their, their armies into foreign lands and declare war is bring their ambassadors home. Because if your ambassador is left, when you declare war, then it's the wrath of the enemy and possibly your own army upon them. Just as God tells us we are not called or appointed to the wrath of God, we will be called home first. That is called the rapture. And as we continue to stand, it is obvious that negotiations with this world are breaking down. We are called to stand. Now, how do we stand? Paul tells us we are to stand above all things, not moving. For those of you on social media, we stand through social media posts. For those of you who do interactions, we stand through service, both things known and unknown. We probably reach more people in the community on the third Tuesday of the month between 5 and 7, than we do every Sunday. Because I see the same people every Sunday. I see different people at our food pantry. I see many of you volunteer at the food pantry. But we need to go beyond that. We need to find the next service that we can be to our community. And with our new board style, when you find that through prayer, let us know. We'll be more than happy to help you out. We are also to be vocal about our faith, our beliefs, and the fact that we are unwilling to bend or go against them. The ambassadors do not do the will of the nation they are in, but the will of the nation that sent them. We are sent here by God. We are not to be intimidated by the world, the media, the mobs, or any group of people, or any individual. We are to stand steadfast. We serve the one true God. We are not, should not, cannot, and will not violate the tenets of his faith, what he calls us to do, or the word he has given us in his holy Bible. Now, Heraclitus is a a man who had a rather famous quote. He's speaking about recruiting people for the army. He says, out of every hundred men, ten shouldn't even be there. Eighty are just targets. Nine are the real fighters. And we are lucky to have them, for they make the battle. Ah, but the one. One is a warrior, and he will bring the others back. That warrior is Christ. He came, he saved us, and that's the only reason we have the faith to stand. We are called to be the nine, to fight that battle, to win that war, until he comes back. We can't stand, we can't bend, We need to stand and not bend. We cannot break because we stand in the faith. We are called to do what the Bible asks us, and that is to make disciples of all men in all nations. Our focus cannot be narrowed only to our city or our neighborhood, but worldwide. We must be in prayer and seeking the word and the wisdom of God. And with that, we'll pray and close, go to our final song. Father, I thank you for this day, for this time. I ask that this word would reach many. 
I ask that I gave it well. I pray that you would move through this place. Place your spirit here. Open our eyes. We thank you for our gifts. You've given us funds. You've given us a great building and property, great service. You've given us new ways into the community through our daycare and through our new service online. Father, we ask that we would use them well, that we would do you proud, and that we would stand unapologetically for you and what you have said. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.